if you uh, did not know that today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Um, for some of you, that might be news, like you've never heard of such a thing. In fact, it's real easy to come on Sunday morning, be within the walls of this building, and never think about our brothers and sisters around the world that suffer. And so I would encourage you in your bulletin today, there's a little insert, and I, I want to encourage you to do something. Don't leave it on your seat when you leave today. I would encourage you to put it in your Bible, and part of your quiet time you have every day with the Lord, you'd pull this out. And it would be a reminder that, hey, we need to pray more than once a year on the day of prayer for the persecuted church. We need to pray every day for brothers and sisters around the world. In fact, just to give you a few numbers, sometimes numbers help, sometimes they're so overwhelming, you, you just don't even, it doesn't even register. But on an average, if you'll look at these numbers, on an average, each month around the world, 255 Christians, our brothers and sisters, you and I have not met them. Uh, when you do see them, they'll be the ones closest to the throne of God when we get to heaven. But more than 255 Christians every month lose their life for the cause of Christ. Have you, have I ever been persecuted? Compared to this, I, I have not. In fact, 104 are abducted, meaning they're either kidnapped or they just disappear, never to show up again. I try to be mindful of this next one. 180 Christian women are mistreated for their faith in Christ around the world. A few years ago, while in the Congo, we were at a, a particular, there was a, a mission hospital there, and the two weeks that we were there reported, and you, mind you, when it comes to a hor this a horrible word, rape, it's a horrible word, but even in the United States, just a little bit is reported. But within two weeks, more than 300 women had reported that in two weeks they had been. And that's just a small percentage of what is reported. 66 churches are attacked, either burnt down or they've been run out. And now the church building is being used by, by something else. And then 160 Christians are detained without trial and they're imprisoned around the world. In other words, they're believers that have lost their uh, jobs, they've lost their family, they've lost their livelihood, their homes, they've lost everything they have, and they're in a prison, and, and they will probably never be released, probably die there unless someone intervenes. Now, here's what I know about large numbers like this. They can be so overwhelming that it just doesn't register. Like, that's, for some of us, that's so much to take in. It's unbelievable, and we can't. So I want to talk just about one woman, okay? This particular lady is uh, just south of the border, uh, pretty close to Guatemala. Uh, not a, Quite a while ago, a guy named Mike Oliver, who goes to church here, and I got to be a part of a team that every month, Harvest Evangelistic Association takes a backpacking trip. 
And they go into these mountains of southern Mexico, and some of these uh, people have been on staff. They've been like uh, pastors of missions in the mountains. And uh, so Harvest supports them monthly to be able to do that because there's no other way to make a living. And yet, some of those pastors just south of the border, here, just think of it, just south of our border, have been martyred for being Christian pastors. Well, this particular lady and her family, her husband, a pastor at Harvest, was martyred for being a pastor, for sharing the gospel. And so every month they would take a backpacking trip to take supplies to the widows of these pastors and their families and to take them their monthly support. Because until she dies, Harvest will continue to give her her monthly support to take care of her family. So if big numbers are like too much to register, think of one lady, that's her face. Uh, a couple of us here at Heritage got to meet her, and she is a widow because of the cause of Christ. So does the Bible have anything to say about what you and I are to do? So would you read this with me? Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. Stop. Does that register? You and I are to remember them as though we are in prison with them. Like, just stop a moment outside these walls. Can you even imagine being contained for your faith? But it goes on to say, and read it with me, and those who are mistreated, which is just the gamut of those who have lost their livelihood, their families, their property, their houses, and some have lost their lives for the cause of Christ. Since you also are in the body, and what's that mean? That means the body of Christ. If you're a believer, you're in the body of Christ. I'm in the body of Christ. And since we're in the body of Christ, we have members, members that we belong to, a family we belong to, that are suffering horribly around the world. And so the, the passage says for you and I, hey, listen, as part of the members of our family, you and I are to remember them in prayer and support and, and whatever you can to do. In fact, I would encourage you, if, if this like really gets a hold of you, um, on this little slip at the bottom, you'll find it says Voice of the Martyrs. And you can go to their website, and you can get a free publication every month that will come to your house that will just kind of tell you stories and keep it in front of you of brothers and sisters around the world suffering. It comes, and I get this every month. It's a little, just a little magazine. It's just full of stories. It gives opportunities how you can help, how you can pray specifically. By name, people who are suffering, you can pray for them by name. I would encourage you, instead of for me, often, it's, oh yeah, it's once a year. It's the International Day of Prayer for... But every day, that you and I would be faithful to pray for our brothers and sisters in harm's way. So would you just, for a moment, help me 
Let's pray together for them. Lord, just the song before this last one, as seeing it, thinking, um, that's quite a mouthful to um, confess that even though you slay me or you ruin me, I'll still praise you. I confess I do not have the slightest idea of what it means to suffer like brothers and sisters and children around the world who are in the same family. They're my brothers. They're my sisters. I don't know who they are, and yet they're hurting. So I pray that you'd help me and help us to be more intentional in our prayers, in our actions, in our thoughts, when we give, when we pray to be able to go somewhere to help someone, when some of them have uh, fled and they wind up here in even in our state as uh, refugees and as family members who've been able to come and escape such things, and yet they still have family that live there and friends and the memories that hang on. And so, God. Uh, start with me before anybody help me look way past this uh, walls and this neighborhood and this state and even this country to places I can't even fathom where people suffer somehow use our prayers and give us a willingness to whatever we could do to be a part of helping. Lord, pray that you churn our hearts up. Because God, when we even come like today, be able to sit here with brothers and sisters and sing praise, uh, may you help our minds to think of other places and it would cause us to be grateful. Lord, I pray for Marty and Greg as they're uh, finishing up their trip in another land and with brothers and sisters who suffer. May you use them today to encourage them. And I know probably more they will come back encouraged for the faith they have seen. Can't wait to hear about it. So help us. Our prayers would be broader than they've ever been before. Ask this in your name. Amen. Hey, so it's kind of hard to believe we're in the holidays. Uh, Thanksgiving's coming up. I mean, it's already in the stores, right? It's already upon us. Uh, There's going to be times of getting together. And as I put this picture together, I, I look closely and I just want to ask, uh, they're building an igloo. Have you ever done that? Like, hey, let's get together and build an igloo. Uh, anyway, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But anyway, they're getting together and building an igloo. And family time. And then, of course, uh, Christmas is coming. And, and for a lot of us, man, this is just like, we. oh, this is, man, we can't wait. Our houses and everything's getting all put together and stuff like that. 
And yet today, I want to talk to us about something. I want to talk to us about dealing with loss and grief. Because here's, here's the deal. Uh, when, when we, I can do this as well, get so wrapped up into the holidays and the festive of it, I, I think, well, everybody else thinks it's the most wonderful time of the year as well. But yet, for people who are dealing with loss and grief and so forth, this season to them is often called the silly season. And it's not silly as in like, hey, it's all giggly and fun, but it's silly because it just causes some incredible, horrifying thoughts and memories, and it just brings back things that cause incredibly deep, deep hurt. And here's the deal. It's, uh, loss is on all kinds of different levels, all types of levels. And the truth is, every one of you in here this morning, you have either experienced it you are in the middle of it, or you are going to. It's just a fact of life that all of us are going to go through loss and grief. And so whether you're in the middle of it, or right now you're just having the jolliest time of your life, I, I hope that you'll hear this because the deal is you and I will rub shoulders with, if you're having a great time right now in the season of life you're in, you will rub shoulders with people who are grieving and suffering loss. And as the body of Christ, you and I are to be equipped how to help one another. How? So I hope that you hear this today. Whether you're here today and you have been suffering from loss, that you'll hear it. But you'll hear it also that, hey, I need to know this stuff so I can come alongside somebody and I can help them. I can, I can maybe be a blessing. I can encourage them. I will know some things not to say. In fact, probably in my uh, grief of losing uh, some loved ones, I have learned more about what not to say than what to say to people. And so maybe that will be a help uh, to you. Hey, listen, I, I've said that before, and that is not very helpful. And so maybe not say that. Erase that from your vocabulary. Or maybe here's something I can do to come alongside somebody. Because the truth is, loss comes at all levels. Uh, you could lose a job. You could lose a marriage. You could lose a child, not just to death, but you could lose them as a prodigal. You could lose your health. You could lose a dream. You're still waiting. And the thing is, when those type of things happen, there are some things, if you do not realize it, uh, you might be thinking you're going goofy, because you start experiencing things, and if you, no one's ever told you about these things, you're like, well, why am I thinking or feeling this way? Well, this might be of some help. Because in the middle of loss and grief, some things happen, more than this, but these are things I have experienced before. In the midst of loss, you kind of have memory loss, or maybe emotional upheaval, like maybe you're not a very emotional person, but during loss, man, you just find yourself like uh, so emotional and you'll apologize all the time to people when you're going through it. And let me just tell you, you don't have to apologize. If you're grieving, you don't have to apologize to anybody. All right. You don't have to like put on the face. You don't have to act. In fact, if you're here this morning and if you're suffering from loss, you don't have to act. This is the worst place to act. This is the worst place to act. So if you have the face on, hey, just go ahead and take it off. Some people might be shocked. Hopefully, 
some of us will go like, hey, uh, it's okay. It really is okay. Uh, uncontrollable weeping, just uh, things will come up. Uh, you'll start weeping. Uh, an interesting one is fear. I want to tell you a little bit about that in a moment. Uh, you might experience fear like you're just fearless, but in the middle of your loss and grief, you sense this fear just overcomes you, and you're like, uh, what am I afraid of, and why am I afraid? Or, or anger. Boy, there's one. No one ever told me that in the midst of grief, I can become very angry. Not only with God, but with other people who uh, really mean to help, uh, but they might be like me at one time. I didn't know what to say, and so they might say something. I'd get angry at them for saying something I thought was not helpful. But then guilt. How guilt can come along in the middle of your loss and grief, like, I didn't do enough for that person, or I should have, or what if kind of things happens. In fact, I just I hope you see this. Your grief, my grief, so whatever loss, whatever level you're at or experiencing or have experienced, or if you're not experienced, I hope you, you'll hear this, but at whatever level, your grief is shaped by the thinking that you bring into it. Because you can either be thinking correctly or not correctly in your grief. And I, I hope to help you a little bit with that because it happens so very, very much. In fact, grief is like an unwelcomed house guest. I don't know if you've ever had one. I don't think we have. Uh, uh, but anyway, I, so like, but someone shows up or, I, I mean, we've had some snakes in the house. That, I, that would be considered an unwelcome house guest. Uh, but the deal is, it's like they show up and they don't know when to leave. And uh, so I want to just call them that. So let me tell you about uh, fear. And so this was unexpected. So quite a few years ago, my sister passed away unexpectedly, and I became very fearful. In fact, we had just moved into a house. We were serving in a church out in the country. We had literally just moved into the house, and about a week later, I get news, and a friend of mine came to my door at midnight, knocked on the door because... Uh, my mother, calling to tell me that my sister had just died, did not want the phone to wake up our children, who were very small at that time, and so thought it'd be best to call a friend. Friend comes over, knocks on the door at midnight. That's never good when you live in the country, someone knocking on your door. I guess it's better than breaking through the window. Uh, uh, I was ready for either way, okay? Anyway, just go that far. Hey, so the deal is, I open the door, here's my friend, he doesn't look that happy. I'm not that happy at midnight either. And he comes in and says, I have to tell you something. Your mother called. Your sister passed away. And here's the deal. I still remember the clock uh, chiming at midnight. I got rid of that clock, by the way. Because every time I heard that clock again, it reminded me. And then at midnight, having someone knock on your door, I mean, I just became very fearful. And the thing is, you might be experiencing fear as well. You've had loss and you're going through grief. And the thing is, fear will just paralyze you. It'll start making you think things that you shouldn't think or things that are not true. And you start doubting. You start doubting God. You start believing things that are not true. And then I remember experiencing guilt because uh, my sister passed away at the end of February. 
And uh, for years at Valentine's, uh, I was the only person that would buy my sister flowers for Valentine's. And that particular year, for some reason, I was short of money, and I did not buy my sister a Valentine's card or flowers. And when she died, the first guilty thought that captured me was, I failed to give her flowers. So I went to her grave, and I knew she wasn't there. But I asked her to forgive me. And I have not missed a Valentine's Day since, laying them on her grave. But this incredible guilt comes over you. And if you're not careful, it'll cripple you. But not only guilt, but unexpected responses to others. i just give you a few. Um, um, one was, someone told me um, after about two weeks after my sister passed away that I should be over it. Now, that's some unwise advice. If you've ever given that, stop. If you've ever heard that, stop for a moment. And so I thought that was true. I mean, I was a pastor. I thought, hey, I'm a strong Christian. Surely after two weeks, I should be over it. And so what I thought was, I thought I was a weak Christian. And so I actually apologized to the person for not getting over it. I expected more out of others than I should, and I became bitter. In other words, I thought people would call more or people would come around more. I, I don't know why I expected that, but I expected it, and I got bitter at people. And I was harsh with other people when they made un... Uh, they just weren't healthy remarks. And so I would respond wrongly to them when... Probably all of them were meaning good, but yet I took it in a bad, bad way. But here's another one. I experienced a ball of uh, emotions. In fact, in grief share, there's a particular diagram, and it's like this. And, uh, you know, the thing is, men uh, are as emotional as women. Like, if you didn't know that, hello. Um, we're just goofier at uh, working with it, okay? We'll just go ahead. I'll go ahead and confess for all men, we're goofy when it comes to emotions. We're as emotional as you women, okay? And the thing is, though, we don't know how to handle very many of them at one time. Like, just one, one at a time, and we're not very good at that. I'm, I'm just confessing me. And yet, in the middle of grief, you will have a score of emotions that you're trying to handle and you just don't know what to do with them. It's just like, it's too much. It's like, and so we do all kinds of different things with it. In fact, I didn't realize this till years later. But here's this verse in the Bible. And it says this. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And here's the deal. Like, why is that in the Bible? Like, like the person who wrote this, he's the guy that um, was a man after God's own heart. Like, um, why would this be in the Bible? Like, first of all, is that true? Is that true that God stands far away and, and, and he hides himself in times of trouble? 
Is that true? Well, it's not. But does it feel like it at times? Yes. And so why is it in the Bible, and why is more than just that verse in the Bible? It's because godly people can feel that God is not around. Godly people can feel alone. Godly people can feel like, man, I must not be a very strong Christian because I'm not handling this loss and this grief very good. And you can feel like it. And then the accuser, the devil, comes along and just throws you under the bus. And you realize, you just are thinking like, man, I'm not worthy to even be called a Christian because why would I be acting like this? Uh, people should see more of, uh, out of me than this weakness at this particular time. In fact, at the bottom of your notes, there's a quote. I'd like for you to look at it. By Paul Tripp, he says this, Grief blocks my ability to see God, but I shouldn't conclude that means he is absent. And so in the middle of, if you're in the middle of grief and loss, you should not conclude that God's distant, far from you, he's not around, but it can feel like it. So I want to give you a few things that I have found that help me. I hope they might give you some help. Here's the first one. When you're in the middle of grief, if you're in the middle of loss and you're feeling it, you need to receive God's comfort. But I want to quickly say this. You might have the wrong idea about God's comfort. And so what happens is we come into grief, we're believing God's going to give us comfort, but we bring our own definition of what comfort of God is, and if it doesn't line up with how we think, then what do we believe about God? He's not delivering. He's not showing up. He's not doing what I think He should be doing in the middle of this. And I just want to encourage you, if you are thinking that, uh, hopefully you'll think this. Maybe I'm looking at God's comfort in a wrong way. Because often, God does not remove it, restore it, but maybe right in the middle of it, He begins to fortify me. Not always removing it, but He wants to fortify me. He wants to come fort. He wants to come and fortify me in the middle of it. It might well be. In the middle of suffering, you want it to remove, restore it, change it, and then I will be comforted when maybe that is not how God's going to do it. And so receive His comfort, but maybe don't bring your definition to it. Now, I, I just want to say before I go any further, that sounded kind of harsh. What I found in the middle of my grief, I needed, and I had, and I did, I got it. I had someone who loved me dearly, and I knew it, who told me straight up some things I needed to hear. Not a lot of fluffy kind of stuff that, you know, is going to help, because it didn't. I needed straight truth. And so... I hope you hear this with all of my heart. I mean this as caring as possible, but 
in the middle of it because of how we bring our thinking into it. Sometimes it's wrong and you need to hear it. Secondly, be in community. Because here's what I know. For some of us in this room, when we suffer and when we lose things and when we're going through grief, we want to get in isolation, the worst place you can be. Because again, not only in loss and grief, but in all of life, because we are not always hearing and believing the truth, you and I need to be in community with other believers where they're going to speak truth into our lives. And hear me, if you're the person speaking the truth, you've got to be careful with it. But they need to hear truth in the middle because loss and grief cause you to start thinking differently. In fact, I want you to look. There's a quote I want you to just follow along. I'm going to have you to underline some things. This first one is right there at the top on the left side of your notes. It's by John Piper. And it comes from a publication called When the Darkness Does Not Lift. You can download this free if you'll Google it. But read along with me, and I want you to underline a few things. It says, We should fortify ourselves against the dark hours of depression by cultivating, cultivating a deep distrust of the certainties of despair. Does that make sense? Because in despair, we can think and say things to ourselves that are what? They're certainties. Like, this is the fact, and yet it's not at all. Because in the middle of despair and loss and grief, the things that are certain, we think, oh, this is a certain truth. It's not. In fact, despair is relentless in the certainties of its pessimism. I encourage you to underline that. Because in despair, the things that you think sometimes that are not truth, they just keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. And we become pessimistic about life but we have seen again and again from our own experience and others that absolute statements of hopelessness that we make in the dark are notoriously unreliable you don't have to raise your hand but have you ever said something in the middle of grief and despair and suffering and later you thought about what you said and you're going like that was like I'm not going to use the S word well, what's another word unwise, dumb. That's pretty close to the S word you shouldn't use around children. Anyway, that's just, you know what I'm saying? It's just like you make this statement and yet it is absolutely false. It's absolutely false, but in the middle of darkness, it just seems so reliable. But our dark, dark certainties were not sureties. While we have the light, let us cultivate distrust of the certainties of despair in the middle of it. And you're going to get that from hopefully being in community. Here's a hard-hitting one, but I want to encourage you, and I want to encourage you if you know someone going through loss to help them, and I want to encourage you if you're going through grief, this. Do not add grief. To your grief. Do not add grief to your grief. We all suffer as sinners. We do not suffer perfectly, right? Example, in grief we often run or we look for something to give us relief, if only momentary, so we eat too much, shop too much, medicate too much, drink too much, 
use credit too much. Thus, we add grief to our grief. And so maybe we're like in the middle of grief and we think, hey, just an extra pill will help me to get through this. And then it becomes another extra and another extra, and it becomes a habit. And now what has happened is on top of your grief, you have more grief because you've added grief to your grief. Or, or some shop, and they go shop and because maybe the shopping like takes their mind away from it. But then when the bills come into the end of the month, it adds grief to grief. Or you think being isolated from other people or from your loved ones, and so you're not going to take that phone call, you're not going to reply to that email, you're not going to be in a, a group of people, you're not even going to maybe come and be in the big group of people, and yet over time you realize you're lonely, and you have what? You've started adding grief uh, to your grief. And yet it can so happen. In fact... I encourage you to read the other quote. I so encourage you to read the other quote and take it to heart. But I'm going to skip it. I want to go to this. Remember the purpose of, like, Christmas. So here we are in the holidays, and, and the truth is um, it has been kind of glamour, you know, it's been glamoured up, you know. You see maybe pictures like this of the perfect Thanksgiving or um, you watch a particular uh, channel on TV that uh, now is year-round and it's Christmas year-round somewhere in the world and it's just like glamorous. It's just like, like, wow. And so a lot of us, we try to make our Christmas like that, like just like, we're going to have the best, I'm not going to say the word. Uh, a friend of mine in a church in town got up one Sunday morning and said something about goofy Hallmark movies. And afterwards, the CEO of Hallmark came up to him and introduced himself to him. And so, you didn't hear it from me, all right? But the deal is, you, we kind of, we see that stuff and we're like, man, that's what Christmas, that's like what it's supposed to be. But I, I want you for a moment just to like, in your mind, I want you to think of, of this. Bethlehem did not have any Christmas lights. There was no snow blowing. It was dark. It was dirty. It was crowded. People didn't care about a baby that's about to be born. People were selfish. People were out for their own. There was no room for a mom who needed a place to have her baby, just a dirty place where animals. There was no talking donkeys. There was no angels, you know, fluttering and singing, hark the herald, whatever. It was God stepping into our lostness to live a life you and I could not live, to give his life sacrificially for you and I. In fact, if you don't take anything from here today, take this. Christmas is God dealing with our greatest 
loss. In fact, maybe, like you're, you're just tired of Christmas, all the hustle bustle, maybe go into, uh, start now on with this thought in mind. Why do we celebrate? Why are we festive? Why do we find joy? Not necessarily in all the lights and glitter and all that, but it's a reminder once again that God stepped into our greatest loss and came that you and I could know him personally and have our sins forgiven and to become children of God and to live a really a short life in this life as his representatives on earth and then one day to go to heaven a place that you and I cannot describe, we cannot think of in our wildest thoughts what it's like. We've never heard anything like it. We've never seen anything like it. We've never seen a Thomas Kincaid picture that's painted as good as heaven's going to be. None of us are going to enter in heaven and go, just as I thought. Like, oh, this is exactly what I expected. Nobody's going to do that. Nobody is going to do that. It's going to be beyond belief. And right in the middle of your loss and grief, and you're feeling it, oh, there's a place. If you don't know Jesus, there's a place. All that will be wiped away and taken care of. And this is maybe a little odd, but I want to end this with this. Um... So you're in the middle of your grief and you're in the middle of your loss and like, what do you do? Like, because it can paralyze you. I can remember after my parents passed away, I had a, their house to deal with and, and uh, I had some other things to deal with. And literally, there were mornings I'd wake up and I, I like, didn't want to get out of bed because I knew I had to do something and I had to go take care of something and I wasn't comfortable with it and I didn't necessarily know how to deal with it. And, and then in the middle of trying to deal with it, man, you're feeling all of it, you know, and like, what do you do with that? And so in the middle of when my parents passed, I read this story, and I think it's a help. If you don't know who these people are, this is Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. And uh, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, they, they got married young, and Jim had a burden to take the gospel to a, a tribe of people in the Amazon that did, had never heard the gospel. And so Elizabeth went along. And uh, they got to uh, their post, and uh, Jim had four of his other friends come along with him. And if you've never read the story, I would encourage you, in January is the anniversary of their martyrdom. Because all five of the, these men were killed. One of them, their body was never found. It'll be in the resurrection, then it'll be found again, right? They never found his body ever again. And they took the gospel to these people, and they actually had guns with them. And uh, they were asked, like, before they went, why they're taking guns. They said, well, because of wild animals and stuff like that. And they said, will you use it if anyone tries to attack you? And they said, no. 
we're going there that they might have life. And so when they came and they found their bodies that had been all butchered up, they found their weapons unfired because they would not fire on them. And they died. And so after they died, Elizabeth was asking herself, because she had a little child with her, and they're still at their house in the jungle, and her husband and her friend's husbands have been killed for the cause of Christ, and, and it's like, what do we do? I mean, what are we supposed to do next? Like, what are you supposed to do? So she was asking, like, should we go home? Should I go live with my folks back in the States? Should we, what should we do? And so she just kind of uh, slowed down in the midst of her grief. And I'm sure, I guess it was the Lord who told her um, she just needed to do the next thing. And so do the next thing. What was Elizabeth's next thing? She took her child and she went to the very people that killed her husband because her husband and his four friends were taking the gospel to them. So in her mind, the next thing to do was to do what my husband did. It's a long story, just to give you the highlights. She went. They received the gospel because they come to find out this is the woman we killed her husband and she still comes to tell us that there's a God who loves them and he sent his son to die for them so they wouldn't have to so they could be forgiven of their murderous accounts and to be forgiven. And the story is that the whole tribe came to Christ. Why? Well, yeah, it was the gospel. But it was what? Because Elizabeth decided, uh, do the next thing. I want to encourage you. If you're in the middle of loss and grief, now hear me, you might be thinking of the next thing and it might not be the right thing. If it's to harm yourself, that's not the right thing. And so I would beg you, if you are here and in your loss and grief, you're so overcome that in your mind, the next thing is to harm yourself. I so encourage you, do not leave this place today without talking to someone. Calling 911 saying, hey, listen, I need help. Talking to someone who you're sitting next to. I'll stand here the rest of the day if you need someone to talk to. But the next thing is, what does God want me to do with my grief and loss? And do the next thing. And it might be that you just need to, like, confess to the Lord. Lord, I, I have taken this upon myself. I can't. Help me bear the load. Would you pray with me? And as we bow our heads and pray, here's my, my, my asking of you, that you would pray, God, how can I be of a blessing to someone in the middle of loss and grief? So if, if none of this, you're like, I'm not going through that, 
The truth is, you know somebody who's going through that. And so, God, would you help me to reach out, to be a blessing, to be an encouragement, to come and be alongside somebody in the middle of their loss and grief. And if you're in the middle of it, my prayer is, listen, God hasn't left you. It might feel like it, but God has not left you. He is close beside you. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters, even in this room this morning, that maybe they're going through some loss and grief that they haven't shared with anybody, and they're feeling it as heavy as ever before. And I pray, God, this morning, you might help them to realize you're still close, you're still there, people still love them, there's still life. You still have a purpose for their life. If they're thinking of harming themselves, that is not you, it's the enemy. Speaking, I pray that you would deliver them from that, you would save them from that. In fact, in the middle of maybe whatever they're going through, I, I pray to realize that every person in this room, we've suffered loss. Because without Jesus, we have, we have lost. And we are lost. And if there's a person this morning, Father, who realizes they're lost, they do not know you, but today they would bow the knee of their heart ask your forgiveness believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved you can do that today where you're sitting you can call on the Lord like I did I said God I know a lot about you but I do not know you I want you to become the boss of my life today I'm lost without you I pray people might call on you today I pray every one of us would do the next thing for somebody or in our own lives run to you. I pray this in your precious name.